0: Welcome to Great Commission Conversations. This is a program that's devoted to engaging in conversation with Bible believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, an assistant pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. I'm thankful that you've chosen to tune into the program today. My guest for today's conversation is missionary Jeff Porter. Brother Porter was saved in the early 80s and attended the Oklahoma Baptist College from 1987 to 1992. He and his family went to South Africa in 1995, where he served for 14 years. He began making periodic trips into the country of Zimbabwe in 2002. President Mugabe's land reform program had begun in 2000, which helped to devastate the country economically. But at a time when many Westerners, including missionaries, were exiting the country, the Lord gave Brother Porter an open door to enter the country, and he and his family relocated to Zimbabwe full-time in 2009. I've had a couple of opportunities to interact with Brother Porter and some of his men on the field, and being around Brother Porter and these men that he's trained motivated me to sit down with him for this conversation. The following interview was recorded in South Africa after a week spent with Brother Jeff and Miss Cindy and the Solid Rock Baptist Church in Chipinge, Zimbabwe in early 2020. With that introduction, let's get into the conversation. Brother Porter, thanks so much for sitting down for the conversation I want to begin by asking you about the need here in Southern Africa. Of course, you've got uh, more than two decades in this part of the world, 14 years in South Africa, going on 10 years now in Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe, for instance, uh, when we were out dealing with people just in this last week, I caught a, a radio segment where the president was on the air on a, an, a in a... Prayer rally in the in the Capitol, and he's. It sounds like he's preaching. He's talking about Jesus Christ, but I've also uh, dealt with enough people one on one that that does not necessarily mean that the people that uh, are being dealt with uh, really understand the gospel and really know the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, what do you? What is your experience with what? The profession of Christianity in this part of the world and the reality. The possession of Christ.
1: I guess for the sake of the president making mention about Christ or throwing in some terminology about Christianity, that's probably most most likely a political strategy for, for the sake of the people. But I think for the most part, the African people have been very open they have had a background of people that have come in and taught them some things about the Word of God, especially Sam. There was a time when they had a saturation of different groups that settled within the country, but you know, as far as honing down on the gospel, it's, it's not been clear. There's barriers in their mind that need to be removed. Sometimes that takes uh, time and uh, somebody to concentrate on them, work with them, but no, they're... They're not overly reached with the gospel
0: at this point. But there are a lot of churches there in Zim. Mm. So but they're not the they're not the right kind of churches, no, are they? Not. No, they're not.
1: That's 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 a hard concept for most people. But no, the the truth of the gospel, I mean Satan's blinded people's minds to that. You know, they come so close, they identify with the gospel, they've heard the cross, they know about the resurrection. But as far as understanding how they can personally acquire a no-so salvation where they can have the joy of knowing my sins are forgiven. Um, the African people have always been open to that, but
0: up there it just seems so much more concentrated. <laughs> would you say most of those people that you deal with that are lost would they would they claim to be a Christian? They do until you start honing down the the question of when
1: they became a Christian or what was their motivation behind that decision. What what prompted them? And you find out a lot of times, though they've heard the gospel, though it was a Scripture Union, something they went through in secondary school, it's just it's it's not a clear understanding. It's obvious as you as you speak with them about that. But the blessing is is that when you're able to give them the gospel, there's kind of an enlightenment, you can see there's something that that, that we're saying or some something that, that God is impressing upon them that's far different than what they've grown up to understand. The Shona people are a very timid people. I think that's why Mugabe had got the upper hand in, in controlling them for so long. But for someone to come in and to give them the gospel and for them to to see it, and I think that's probably the, one of the greatest joys is for them to see, almost like looking and seeing in their eye where they finally get it up there it's just it's, it's wide open I, I would love to go into other areas i would love to i've got several places on my mind Shivani, matari Cheredzi. places that the people are people are open here brother brother lee you know that you've been there you've seen that but the, the number of people that are willing to
0: come in and stick it out is um, is not so great. Sure. Well, the gospel's been in Zen and, and in so much of Southern Africa for a long time. There's there's a lot of preachers. just not the right kind of preachers. A lot of churches, not the right kind of churches. So, um, yeah, I'd agree with you. There's a need here. There's a need here. I, I pray the Lord will... We'll raise up some more laborers, and I'm thankful for missionaries like yourself. They're in a field like this uh, with a need like this. What are some of the challenges that you that you face in Zimbabwe in the work of missions? Zim had a unique political situation, having had
1: almost a 40-year dictator, um, that has economically completely destroyed. The infrastructure, making the, the just the day-to-day living for the people, a very, very difficult, very challenging for them. The difficulty for us is to see the need that the people have. Obviously, somebody needs the gospel, but there's there's also other needs that are seemingly more, more pressing to them, and trying to meet those needs economically. All our people, um, very few people have a stable job, a stable, steady income. And that affects the whole life of the person. And uh, trying trying to help and provide for them peace jobs, provide for them different projects whereby they could make a living
0: um, is the challenge challenge for the moment. Economically, then, for the people, and especially the people in the church that uh, that you're trying to, obviously obey New Testament Christianity and see that they have their needs met. What kind of philosophy have you developed to meet those needs without creating a, a situation of dependency that's, that's unhealthy in the long term? Subsidizing your people for the long term is not going to work,
1: but for the, for the temporal, to pick them up, to get them in the right direction, to get their feet on the ground, to get them grown I think it's necessary for for a while. It takes wisdom to be able to wean them off of that. Um, I believe in a good, strong work ethic. And for the most part, people up in Zimbabwe are hard workers. But there's really nothing for them whereby they can get locally uh, a means of income. So
0: they're just subsistence-type living. I I guess that, at least in some circles, particularly in so-called fruitful fields which which southern africa would be one of those so-called fruitful fields because you're able to deal with people there are people being saved the philosophy of some over the years has been start a church one church per term establish a work relocate establish a work relocate and try to try to multiply the work in that way where you have the missionary that is relocating with some frequency I, I know for you and, and some other good missionaries I know in this part of the world, uh, that's not been the approach. That's not been the philosophy. So when you were in South Africa, you, you established one work and stayed with it for a protracted period of time. Now in Zimbabwe, you've been um, getting the same work established for a number of years. So what's motivated you to stay put in in one location in Chapingi, for instance, in Zimbabwe, and what do you feel like are some of the advantages to having a long-term presence in a, in a given area and in a particular local church? Particularly in the African culture, I think time is,
1: is um, extremely important for them to see that you're not going to be a fly-by-night. And even to learn the people and some of the, some of the ways that they operate, some, some things that they're not so ready to share with you, about about their culture it takes time and so being a familiar figure in an area is to your advantage from all levels of people because they see you and and they've seen so many come and go and it's it's even discouraging amongst their own people for you know we call them garage churches you know hmm. and they're here one year or two years or three years, and they're gone. So I think for the advantage of trying to establish a solid work, just sticking to it.
0: Well, you're, you've been, so you've been in Jopinga now for going on 10 years. You've expressed that you feel like you're you're seeing some some progress in the work right now, at least in part because of your long-time presence. You've become uh, an, an installation there in the community, You've developed a lot of relationships. Could you describe how staying for a a longer time has has produced some fruit that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to experience?
1: The fruit that we're seeing now, um, there are several factors involved. The, The length of time that we've been there is one. But also, we've had a cyclone come by from Mozambique and a directly hidden area to the north of us about 30 miles that has caused a tremendous amount of openness with the people i think the devastation the number of people that were killed in that particular cyclone um, had made people aware of you know just the, the brevity of life everyone in some way was affected either knowing someone directly or indirectly that had perished in the floodwaters and so i think i, I think the lord does work all the time kind of behind the scenes that will make it to be a little bit more productive. Longevity on the field is one factor, but I think the Lord sometimes uses local things, things on the ground, things that people are affected by. In Africa, I think with the element of HIV and AIDS, in our area there's a high concentration of people that are on retrovials, and that's a strong drug. It's a drug that fails. People build up resistance, so death and despair... And um, just the economic situation there, um, people are drawn to the prophets who are promising them a prosperity gospel. But boy, when they—and I believe they see through that. I believe they—they they see these guys um, pillaging what little finances the people have, uh, and, you know, filling their own pockets with that, whether it's healing or prosperity. But I think if you can clearly convey the gospel to them, that they will begin to see an element of truth that does take time to develop. But boy, what a blessing it is when you see the light come on. I guess, honestly, looking at, you know, anytime you do see a a spurt of growth, it's not the missionary's ability to communicate sometimes. it's, It's God working. And you're just there. You're you're catching what the fruit falls basically into your hands.
0: In in speaking of the uh, prevalence of the AIDS virus in this part of the world, you're aware. You're aware in your ministry right now that you have that that you're interacting on a regular basis with people who are mm-hmm. affected by this virus. Uh, What precautions have you taken to protect yourself, to protect your family, and and what would you say to a young family that uh, is is looking at this part of the world but um, uh, trying to exercise some prudence and stay informed but not to be controlled by fear with something that's very, very serious in terms of a, a health condition?
1: Yeah, the concentration of the AIDS virus is, is far greater here in Africa. I guess after you get to know your people, you you basically know or can visi- visibly identify someone that that is on medication um, as a result of that. This thing is transmitted a particular way, and our interaction with the people has never been a concern. Um, I guess the only concern you would have is if you come into a situation where someone is uh, profusely bleeding um, and contact with sores. But as far as loving your people, as far as, um, you know, shaking hands, hugging them, encouraging them, it has never been a concern for me. I know it has been for other missionaries. I think you can almost develop a, a phobia. It's probably easy for some. There's a there's a stigma of Africa in general, and that might be one of the reasons why people are so cautious to come here. But um, raising my kids in South Africa with the high concentration of AIDS down there has never been something that we were, you know, overly cautious. Yeah, God, God protects you. God, God takes care of you, and we've never we've never run into a situation where we really felt that, that was a health issue for us
0: you um went to south africa in 95 i think transitioned to zimbabwe in i guess 2009 mm-hmm. could you could you describe how that how you came to that transition where you went from from vitbank south africa to Chipinge, Zimbabwe, and how the Lord guided that change of field. My first exposure to Zimbabwe was through a man that
1: got saved in South Africa. He was working, it was through the hospital ministry that we met him. And I think it was particularly through him uh, expressing a desire to go back and reach his people that brought Zimbabwe into the picture. I took him back up there in 2002 when he expressed a need to go back and reach his people with the gospel. And having gone into the country for the first time, I'm basically looking at something that I'd never seen, different uh, tribal mentality, different group of people. But the need was far greater because I saw absolutely nobody up there. I saw people that were very open, Having lived in South Africa for 14 years, i basically understood some of the, some of the mindsets of the Zulu people. Um, just the economy down here and the way things are and up there, it was just so much, the, the, the contrast was so great. Um, but we would go up there once a year or twice a year and stay and try to help this young Zimbabwe man and his, his young family to try and build a work. Uh, lived with him on the mountain, uh, got to know the Zimbabwe people. And so twice a year we'd go up there and, and uh, I'd bring one of my children up there and we'd basically dive into the culture. It was in a rural setting. And that, that just introduced, and traveling back and forth and meeting some of the people and beginning to learn the, the, the basic need of uh, even the whites in the community. And the land reform that started in 2000, and some of those situations, until you're on the ground, you just don't see them. But no, it made a tremendous impact on us. If a missionary wants to see people reached for Christ and there's, a, there's an area or a pocket that's been unreached, I think that would probably stir his passion to go and do something in that area. And that's basically what we did. The Lord opened the door for us to cross in there, um, having not understood some of the the, the the needs in transitioning into another country by way of immigrations by way of uh, routes to to stay in the country work permits um, all of that was was learned the hard way um, God blessed us and gave us a, a situation where we were living on a dairy farm for six years uh, very precious family uh, Christian white family there and. They helped us to understand some of the needs they've had all, they've had workers and so we began reaching out to them and their workers in that area and uh, God just made it uh, so so obvious that that was the place for us to go i so the need in zim I think is something i hadn't seen and that that stirred that challenged that motivated us to to pray and consider about going
0: up up north ten years later do you feel like the need is is Just as great as ever in Zimbabwe.
1: Lee, We've stayed 10 years in one area, and concentrating and trying to establish a church um, does take time. But the need throughout the whole country. I mean, there's probably things I would have done differently is go into an area where there would be more English, um, maybe university town. My wife and I have always struggled with language, um, and that's one of the things God has always done. He's always given us men that have been able to convey through translation the gospel to the people. That's that's what we've used in starting these works. Um, Doing it differently, I think, say for someone to come in back of us, I think there would be a greater need to concentrate on the language. Uh, We've really limited our ability in that sense because of that. But God's still blessed. God's given us good people. Um, And the need is great throughout the whole country. It is really an untapped untapped country is in my estimation as far
0: as mission work you i appreciate your transparency about the about the language the challenge of language what what would you suggest to a young missionary family that is going to any field really where the the predominant tongue is something other than english how would you suggest they go about getting established and getting started in relation to language and ministry I've heard different guys that have gone up into North Africa, where French is the
1: language, and they've gone into France to learn the language for a period of time, sometimes even up to two years. So, for a guy, and and you're not always going to learn a tribal tongue that way. You've got to do that on the ground. But I would I would recommend that they would spend at least two years in um, learning, and possibly even through a, a college or somebody that would be paid to help in their translation. And before they before they get too busy in the ministry, I think that's where what 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 happened with us. We were overzealous to get things going and and we just delve in there and and didn't take the time to learn the language. Didn't didn't concentrate on that. And there were other factors involved in that too. But yeah, I would recommend definitely a young guy or family
0: to learn the language and make that a priority. You indicated the Lord's always given you some some good men to help you to overcome that that barrier. Mm -hmm. One of the things um, that—I met you here in the country back in 2018. We were conducting a conference up in the Gokwe area. You brought some of your guys up there to participate, I guess seven men from the church and camped and— uh, picked up some literature while you were up there and and sat in on a on a portion of the conference one of the one of the things that so impressed me at the time the guys that were with you at the time it was very evident that they were of another spirit they they had uh I described it to some as just truth be told they were they were head and shoulders above some of the other national leadership that we had been exposed to in the country and it was a It was a blessing to be around those men. What are some of the things that the Lord's taught you about training men? The spirit that I witnessed, what do you attribute that to? What are some things that you would recommend to others that are that are training men to try to realize that level of maturity? Spending time with the guys,
1: making them almost part of the family, knowing them, knowing their needs, trying to express some kind of a concern and in, in helping them on a personal level, I think, God has given us tremendous men. They're at all different levels of education. They're at all different levels of ability, but um, they're hungry for the gospel. They're hungry to learn. There's very few people that come through them. Our guys were so excited to be able to go and to get something, um, something added, something extra from the, the conference and traveling. and All of that builds camaraderie amongst your men. You know, especially when you take seven, eight guys and overnight and traveling on the road, these guys very seldomly move around or have the ability to move around. So to go and and see what you guys were doing over there was a tremendous encouragement to them. They had they had the time of their life. There are some simple things. Our guys, um, I remember going into an area where one of down by a river and. Just, just to see these guys like little kids getting into a rowboat, crossing a river, and many of them for the first time—that's their first—that's their first boat ride. <laughs> and just the time that you spend doing doing just familiar things for us that they'd never done—that builds things, you know. We we've done rappelling with our guys, we've done um, off-road riding with some of our guys, just showing them that you love them. And um, interesting them in the things of, of God, and to know express to them that they can know and do the will of God, you know and and that excites them though there is a different mentality amongst the people in Zimbabwe though, because down south i didn't I didn't see so much of that really um, not that we couldn't travel, it's just that there was so much going on, just a unique thing that the Lord does. I can't really attribute that to my great missionary ability to. You know, develop and, and work with men I think God God does that in in, the, in their own hearts
0: I had a feeling that, that your answer might be something along those lines I I do think obviously there's a there's a place for discipleship programs there's a place for Bible Institute you've got uh, uh, great participation right now in the Bible Institute that you're doing through the through the church in Chapingi. but uh, it's it seems to me that there is no substitute for just personal interaction one-on-one time small group time and going and doing the ministry together not just talking about how to do it but I' seeing your guys on the street dealing with people and uh they got that exposure from from watching you and from following you and from and from participating with you and uh, uh it's it's a it's a it's a joy to watch it's really really special to to see these guys in action, um, boldly uh, sharing the gospel with others, so and to see the and to see these these men at your table, which has been in the short time that we spent at Jipingi, uh very very frequently we were we were around other men at your table, and that kind of fellowship and that kind of setting, I just uh, I can't imagine there's any substitute for it. There are some things that you can get in that setting that you can't get in a church service or even in a classroom, because it's real life and Christianity is not just church services and Bible Institute classes and so forth. So, did you have that approach? Have you always had that approach? I learned that from
1: my pastor. You know, part of the part of the ministry is to be given the hospitality, and that means opening your doors and uh, even. You know, putting a pallet down for a guy that's, you know, and our guys have a unique, um, everyone has a, has a background and a story, a family. and As displaced as the families are, you know, they, they don't understand what family life is like. And for you to be able to try to bring them into your family means so much to them because they've never experienced that, loving them and, and you know, just making them like one part of the family. And that's the way we've always done our home. I think at one time we had uh, yeah, an unreal amount of people living within our confines in South Africa, but that has been largely because of the influence of my pastor.
0: You mentioned that um, the brother that you took up to Zimbabwe back in two, starting in two thousand two, mm-hmm. and that that ultimately led to your relocating with your family to Zimbabwe full-time in 2009. If I recall correctly, you met him in the hospital through a ministry that you had when you were in South Africa at the hospital, and that hospital ministry developed out of some tragedy that your own family experienced early on in your time in South Africa. Anytime a young family relocates from one country to another country, the transition is uh, just comes with a great deal of challenges. There are cultural adjustments that have to be made, housing to be secured, um, language barriers to be overcome. Just a lot. It's it's a traumatic time for a family, and a lot of difficulties that have to be overcome just in getting settled in a new place. And your family went through something that. Um, that compounded some of those difficulties in transition. And the Lord brought you through it. And you're here 20-plus years later still faithfully serving the Lord in Africa. I wonder if you'd be willing to, to relate uh, the the your experience shortly after you came to the field and how the Lord walked with you through that time.
1: When we came to the field, we had six children. My
0: wife was pregnant. Cindy was pregnant with number
1: seven. Uh, The child the Lord gave us was um, severely deformed in the womb, so there was some concern with the doctor to find out exactly to what extent that was. Priscilla Joy was born in February of 96 and uh, was not able to live a day and a half. And I think for a a missionary family getting to the field and then within three months you, you lose a child, I believe God used that um, primarily for Cindy uh, because your loss after carrying a full-term baby is great. And to find out that the people in South Africa, those women, um, so many have experienced the same situation. So to console someone, to comfort someone, to reach out to someone... um, you can't identify what their their burden is. I think the Lord did that primarily in preparing us for the field of South Africa. I think the missionary family that we were working with uh, played a large a great part in helping us through that. Our church back in the states, my pastor, just the contact we had during that during that uh, turmoil, was a great means of encouragement. I don't know what others would have done. You know, go back and and decide that this isn't what God would have us to go through. I think suffering is always part of God's will, and you'll never be able to second guess God and how He's going to do that and what He wants to teach you and how you can learn from that. But no, I think God did that for the sake of the the women primarily, that Cindy would be able to minister to and say, "I know how you feel." But we know that that little child's with the Lord. Losing a child is never easy. Sure.
0: Sure. You did work with a uh with another missionary when you first came to South Africa, is that right? Mm. And it sounds like that was beneficial probably in many ways, but including some things that you couldn't have anticipated when you first relocated. Are there some are there some other some some things such as that that you would recommend to young missionaries that are that are um Maybe, maybe even just praying about a call to missions, or preparing to go, or just getting started on a foreign field. Can you think of some things that, that, off the top of your head, that that you feel like every young missionary ought to know? Brother Lee, the one
1: that the Lord put us in contact with is Roger McCrum. Came by recommendation from Randy Pike, via Jack Woods in Houston, and I think it's important that you acclimate with someone that's had some experience and uh, has been on the field for uh, for a considerable time Um, just getting us settled getting us uh, familiar with the culture I think that's that's wise but Brother Roger had been a tremendous encouragement to us I think he pointed us in the right direction Uh, we got involved in his ministry and learned as much as we could from there but we're still anxious to try and branch out and do a work with the people I believe God led us to work with. He was working with the Whites and we had no problem uh, adjusting and jumping into his work for a period of time but I think that's important in any culture to spend time with a with a man that's been there.
0: You were saved in what year? 1982. 1982. October 10th. And then the Lord uh, worked it out for you to go to Oklahoma Baptist College is that mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Dr. OBC. Jim Vineyard? OBC Yeah so I've heard you speak of this and and the some of the men that uh, you were that you were in school with or I, I know some of those guys, Adam Thompson spent some time in Argentina, many years in Mexico now pastoring your sending church capital City Baptist Church in Austin, Texas, a fine man, great brother. James Hoffmeister, I've seen his work down in Trinidad. Tremendous missionary. These are some. Of, these are some of the guys that you were in school with, and and others that uh, that I'm not personally familiar with that you've indicated went to the foreign mission field and did a work for God. Um, an interesting moment there at OBC. Uh, what what years were those approximately? Do you remember when you were in eighty
1: seven to ninety two. 87 to 92 yeah God did a great work there in Oklahoma City I think there was almost like a season and um, that is that 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 environment I mean the the emphasis of missions was one thing but just the group of guys what brother Vineyard did there was was unique um, his heart for missions I mean he's always had a heart for missions even Jewish missions toward the end of his life. But um, we were thankful to be able to get into that, that place
0: and get
1: readjusted and get to know some of those guys. But God God's done a great work there, and I'm just thankful to have a part in that.
0: You you mentioned, when you were talking about your, your time at OBC, you mentioned some Friday night prayer meetings that you participated in. And I was intrigued by this, because when I think about the history of missions and, and God doing some some amazing things around the world, it seems like... Some of those, some of those uh, missionary successes, if we could call them that, were, were birthed in uh, prayer meetings that that seemed just to be very simple at the time, but produced some some amazing fruit in years following. So I was wondering if you could just take us back to to those years at OBC and some of those Friday night prayer meetings. How did that develop, and and how do you think that that was uh, formative for for what you? and those other men were able to to go on and do in the work of missions
1: most of the guys were doing second shift work they would get off of their jobs there was a place off campus a house and uh, they would just file in whenever they could there was it was basically um you know from eight till one two o'clock in the morning and you got there and you prayed with whoever was down on the ground and and it would last um it was going on for quite some time different guys had different burdens about different different countries different different areas that they wanted you know whatever they wanted to do whether it's evangelism or pastoring or mission work but it was just a, a unique um time where yeah it was it was basically prayer god god worked in a great way and stirred my heart during that time and uh, just just a great group of great group of men and and for the most part many of them are still where god's called them where's god god directed them and i think it was primarily due to the the, uh, camaraderie that was brought about through prayer amen
0: yeah brother porter i really appreciate you sitting down with us for the conversation Uh, i think it's been helpful appreciate what you're what you're doing in Zimbabwe. Thank you again for the conversation. God bless. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation today. One of the really enjoyable things for me in interacting with a variety of missionaries is seeing in action the differences of administrations and diversities of operations and the way the Holy Spirit will get in there and use different men and different methods to bring about His purposes for the furtherance of the gospel. I would describe Brother Porter's philosophy of ministry as beautifully unsophisticated, and that is a compliment. I would sum up his ministry under just two headings, Winning Souls and Loving People. Everywhere that I went with Brother Porter, he was giving the gospel to someone. And the men which Brother Porter trained were capable of doing the same, and their spiritual development was cultivated in a very simple, natural, family type of atmosphere. It just sounds a lot like New Testament Christianity. I'm interested in these conversations to talk missions philosophy, to confront misunderstanding and encourage right thinking about missions and interact with new ideas or neglected ideas. But I was reminded in the course of this conversation that there are some simple things in the ministry that will work any place around the world. Thanks again for tuning in. I want to invite you to join us again next time on Great Commission Conversations. You can subscribe to this program wherever you receive your podcasts. And if it's been a blessing to you, feel free to invite others to tune in. Your feedback is welcome here at Great Commission Conversations. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at brolee at cbcofcarthage.com. That's brolee at cbcofcarthage.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.